Welcome to the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry, and today we're visiting with Dr. Robert Cloninger. Hey, Robert. Hey, good to see you, Aaron. Good to see you, too. I'm so excited about our conversation today, and it's one that I think is among the most important we can be having about our reaction and response to some of the great challenges we're going through in these times. So I appreciate you taking the time to visit with us, doctor. It's my pleasure. Dr. Robert Cloninger is director of the Anthropedia Institute and professor emeritus at Washington University in St. Louis. He was Wallace Renard Professor of Psychiatry, Professor of Genetics, Professor of Psychological and Brain Sciences, and Director of the Sansone Family Center for Wellbeing at Washington University School of Medicine until July 2019. The Anthropedia Institute is the research and advisory component of the Anthropedia Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to development of human well-being through initiatives in healthcare and education. He is widely cited and honored for his innovative biopsychosocial research that spans the genetics, neurobiology, development, psychology, brain imaging, and assessment of personality and psychopathology. His personality inventories have been used in more than 6,000 peer-reviewed publications around the world. And he is one of the most highly cited scientists in the world across all fields. In fact, in the top one one hundredth of a percent. He received his bachelor's with high honors and special honors in philosophy, psychology, and anthropology from the University of Texas at Austin and received his MD from Washington University and an, and an honorary doctorate from the University of EMEA and the University of Göttingberg. Dr. Cloninger has published 10 books and over 600 articles in psychiatry, psychology, and genetics. His recent books include Feeling Good, The Science of Well-Being by Oxford University Press, Origins of Altruism and Cooperation by Springer, and Personality and Psychopathology by American Psychiatric Press. And these many awards you've received, Dr. Cloninger, will include in the show notes. And clearly, you've been uh, not only uh, well recognized by the global community for your work, but it's so interesting to note that of the some 17 million scientists around the world who have received two or more citations, uh, you're in the top 200 or something like that, around 180, which is, which is really extraordinary. And I'm so excited about our conversation today because uh, we're going to do our best to cover your science, which really is uh, avant-garde, cutting-edge science, and translate it and boil it down to many in our audience who are not necessarily themselves scientists, let alone uh, neuroscientists or, or medical professionals. And your research and the work you're doing through Anthropedia and elsewhere is, uh, from my perspective, uh, one, one of the most important uh, leading edges of, of the kind of work, the healing work, and the creative work we have to do in our world right now, uh, given the extraordinary challenges and crises that we're now facing. And so I, I want to open, Robert, um, first by thanking you again, and, and secondly, by asking you a very open-ended question. Um, from your perspective, with all the research you're doing, what, what is the most important insight uh, you're helping to make known in the world right now? You know, we've, of course, as you emphasize in your work, we face many challenges as a species. We're in essentially the sixth 
the rate extinction and uh, human beings are largely responsible for the impact on the environment that is causing these problems. And so the fundamental questions that I've been concerned about is to understand whether what it is about our human nature that may have led us to get to this situation, to create this situation, and more importantly, uh, understanding who we really are and what it is that's necessary for us to be healthy and happy and to be able to live sustainably. Um, what can we do? What is it that allowed us to become so successful in the first place? And what is it that's gone wrong? So from that, what I've done is to try to first develop measures of uh, who are we? How do we describe our personality and the way we learn and adapt to our life? So that's why I developed personality inventories and then tried to validate those to show just what it is that makes up a healthy person. And more recently, once we had established that we had good ways to measure human health and well-being, the physical, the mental, the spiritual and social components of health and what gives us satisfaction, then, well, how did that come to be? And what was it that led to the evolution of our capacity to be creative, to be um, pro-social, to look out for our neighbors, to look out for the environment. And um, that, that has been the task I, I set for myself. And it's really been a fairly long journey because I started this in, um, gosh, uh, in the mid 80s, 1980. So it's been 36 years that I've been working on this set of problems. Yeah, it's it's tremendous. And, and obviously in that time, you've covered so much uh, deep and complex uh, scientific research. And uh, we're going to include a handful of articles in the show notes that folks can uh, go to if they're interested in diving deeper. It includes a, a relatively recent article, uh, The Complex Genetics and Biology of Human Temperament, a review of traditional concepts in relation to new molecular findings. And I, I want to get to that in a, in a few minutes, but in, in preparing for our discussion, I was especially struck by a piece that you wrote in 2013 called What Makes People Healthy, Happy, and Fulfilled in the Face of Current World Challenges. For in this uh, short eight-page document, uh, you, you do an extraordinary job of, of summarizing and making very clear and easy to understand some critical uh, aspects of ourselves as individual humans and how that has an impact and influence on our complex social interactions as well as our impacts on the planet, environmentally speaking. And so I wanted to kick it right off by jumping into this discussion where you've identified three key attributes, self-directedness, cooperativeness, and self-transcendence as critical to understanding perhaps our own individual development and, and, and then how we might go about uh, fomenting more positive change in our world. Okay. Well, you'd like me to summarize those. Okay. I think 
the key notion for people to get is that uh, human personality actually involves two domains. One is our temperament, which are simply our emotional drives, like to look out for danger, which I call harm avoidance, to be interested in things that are unusual, new, complex, which I call novelty seeking, and also to be sensitive to what other people are feeling in reaction to our behavior, uh, which I call sociability or reward dependence, as we're very sensitive to the cues that people give us. These are, um, these are traits that um, actually involve the way we learn from um, very, in response to very simple stimuli. And um, it's not a rational process. These are what create our habits and our attachments and our desires, which are often irrational. And so, but this is our emotional style. Now, we are different from chimpanzees and our other ancestors because although we share temperament, we have evolved two other systems of learning and memory that give us an ability to control our emotions, to regulate them intentionally, to achieve goals, and a second system for being self-aware and being able to um, use our awareness to consider the value that achieving a goal may have for our life and our satisfaction and what impact it might have on other people and on the planet in which we live. And so what happens in life is for us to learn how to regulate our emotions and our habits and our attachments and desires to be consistent with goals that are rational and in addition that have a value that's long-term for ourselves and others so that in a sense they're good. So if we make our habits consistent with our goals and our values, then we can have a life that is both healthy physically and happy emotionally and also has meaning and purpose. And, and so self-directedness and cooperativeness are the two characteristics that um, mature humans have. We all have a capacity for these, but not everyone because of their life circumstances or other things develop it. But if you're self-directed, that means that you're purposeful and resourceful, and you're also willing to take responsibility to uh, get things done. If you're cooperative, you're tolerant and helpful and empathic, and you'll at least do things that are of mutual benefit for yourself and other people. You look for win-win solutions. So that's our system for intentional self-control. And then there's a third system that is also a part of character. And that is this creative self-awareness that I mentioned. And that is also, that is expressed, when it is expressed, we are both self-directed and cooperative but we add to what you see with just uh, logical reasoning and analysis. 
we add to it a sense of compassion and love and hope and faith when fully developed. And so the difference between people who are simply regulating their habits to make money and achieve goals and maybe be famous, that, the difference between that self-interested way of living and developing self-awareness of your relationship to other people and the planet, the world in general, is self-transcendence. So the difference between being self-interested and self-transcendent is actually critical in the current time. And uh, what I found was that people were only self-directed and cooperative, but not self-transcendent, then they would take pretty good care of themselves and those who were close to them. But they might just ignore the needs of the community as a whole and the planet. And so they wouldn't be concerned about equity, sustainability, uh, and you know, basic principles of fairness and, and so on. The people who were uh, self-transcendent instead of simply self-interested were really more characteristic of our, our younger generation who are not satisfied with materialistic values and executive control. They, they are more interested, they're post-materialists, what are sometimes called culturally creative. They have a creative character in which they have humanitarian interests, ecological intelligence, social intelligence, and so on, because they want to try to help us live in harmony with one another in the planet in which we, which we share. And so this is actually goes back to a very longstanding debate about what is a healthy personality. And in the West, we've tended to think that a healthy personality was just being self-directed and cooperative. And that does pretty well for most of people's lives. But by the time you get in your 30s and by the time you get in your 40s and 50s, most people in Western societies who have that style of living uh, start getting multiple diseases. And they begin to question whether their values are really satisfying because they thought that if they achieved money and power and so on, that they would be fulfilled and satisfied. But, you know, look around at the wealthiest executives and people with a lot of influence, and they're often still very unsatisfied with their lives, and they feel something's missing. And that something that's missing is really this need for us to um, do the kinds of things in our life that will awaken us to our connections with one another in the planet. This feeling, it's, it's not just wishful thinking or opinion to think that we're an integral part of the world and inseparable from one another. It's actually the truth that um, the world operates not less with competition and more with symbiosis and we're connected. And most of us, three-fourths of people actually have these self-transcendent experiences where they feel at least briefly at times in their life under good conditions connected to one another, and they feel connected to the universe at times. They have moments of joy like that. But it's very difficult in modern society to sustain that from day to day. And as a result, we're manipulated by, you know, all the signals and social media to 
grab our attention to looking for likes or making more money or consuming more or having the newest car and things like that that actually uh, are leading us to ex uh, deplete the ecological resources of the earth to a point that, you know, since the mid seventies, the earth has not been able to restore its ecological health. And so we're gradually step-by-step step, degrading the environment that we need. So I asked myself, what can we do to have people realize that they're not currently, most of us are not living in the in accord with our human nature, but because there's a lot of controversy in science and society about what is the healthy personality, I had to really look for objective science to see what's the truth here. Is it really just the people who are self-interested that are the natural human? And this other is kind of a fantasy for humanists and uh, a few people who are very spiritually or religiously oriented. And what I discovered here, and I think uh, may not surprise you, but it surprised a lot of my colleagues. We, we, we set out to identify all the genes for human personality. We found that there are about a thousand of them and they interact with each other in very complex ways. And it turns out that what distinguishes us from chimpanzees and even from Neanderthals is this capacity for self-transcendence. That's what gave us the creativity and the ability to appreciate our need to work effectively in cooperative communities. And that's what led us to be able to displace all the other uh, hominids, the early humans on earth. Because if you work in social groups, you look out for your children, your grandchildren, and even strangers in your community, it turns out that that's a very powerful force. And our capacity for being inventive and creative rather than just you know, being selfish and looking for using our power to do things uh, that'll serve us, we can have a vision and imagination of the future that's healthy for us. And it turns out that that, set, that character, that creative character who's self-directed, cooperative and self-transcendent has much more energy, is physically more resilient to injury and aging and uh, all sorts of toxicity that you know, abounds in the world today and that we're happier and we're uh, able to be much more adaptive and innovative when faced with the kinds of challenges. And, and it turned out that, you know, despite all the things that we're doing wrong now that are decreasing the sustainability of the environment in which we live, it turns out that we actually evolved, became human, modern humans with creativity and the sense of community and an imagination for how to get along with each other. That happened in response to climatic changes that were threatening our very survival. That, was, that, was, that started about three or 400,000 years ago. And um, the, the system for temperament and social agreement, that goes back uh, 40 million years. The capacity for logical analysis and just being self-directed and you know, making good tools and so on. That goes back about 2 million years. But the capacity to be creative 
and uh, communal and self-transcendent goes back only 100,000 years. And it's within that time that we actually became dominant on the earth. But in the last two or 300 years, as we moved into our industrial society, we lost track of the very thing that made us so successful. And we became uh, very concerned with our power and domination over the earth until we realized it is not an inexhaustible resource. And we lost a lot of our sense of need for social equity yeah. and our need to use creativity. So I, I'm sorry, I, I, you got me going on a lot of uh, important issues, but I hope I answered the question in, in context. Very, very much so, and uh, it's appreciated and uh, makes sense. I, I have a follow-on question, which is we can clearly trace some of the roots of our current uh, psycho-spiritual and social challenges back to the dawn of, of what we call civilization. A lot of work's been done in the area of eco-psychology and elsewhere to do so. And I don't think it's by any means a stretch to say in the 20th century in particular, there has been this hyper acceleration of this uh, ultra individualism, you know, sort of the, the Gordon Gecko greed is good, the Ayn Rand uh, cult of individualism uh, called, uh, you know, positive objectivism in, in stories like Atlas Shrugged. It, it, which is one of the most read books uh, ever. And we, we've basically, many of us grown up in and only really experienced, especially in the West, especially in the United States, uh, a culture that, that is so infused with and, and permeated with an ethos stemming from a, a, a super underdeveloped uh, self-transcendence in, in the leadership. Uh, it, it strikes me that this is a really important thing for us to understand. And I'm also curious if you could expand on the observation you make in the paper that many, if not most of the corporate leaders over the last several decades and political leaders and others who are really making the major decisions in the world uh, up to this point, uh, generally have underdeveloped uh, self-transcendent attributes. and, and can you tell us a bit about the science, how you go about realizing that kind of a thing? And then also what you think that means in terms of strategies and approaches we might be taking going forward to help remedy that fact? Well, there are several, the, the very important question. There, there are several parts of this. First, the, the fact is that the um, current sort of business philosophy that emphasizes profit without a sense of social responsibility uh, and that thinks like Hayek said that social justice is just an illusion and it's, it's a fiction uh, is simply not consistent with our human nature. It's simply not true because we can show that what made us homo sapiens wise and virtuous is the recognition of our connectedness, not our separateness. So if, if you have an attitude that you're separate, you're gonna be defensive and competitive, and it tends to lead to insatiable desire for 
power and money and so on. And it turns out that that just never satisfies. I mean, uh, and then the fact is that what makes us work to be physically, mentally, and socially healthy is, is to um, really identify as a part of something larger than our individual self. And that's what self-transcendent means, is that you're willing to make sacrifices for others and to work for harmony rather than competition because you really feel you're part of one whole. And, and that's the reality. I mean, if you think about it, we never, we don't live in a vacuum. We are not really separate. We have so many bacteria in our microbiome that are really a part of us. We're in symbiosis with them. We, we have to share the air that we, each of us breathes, the land, the, the planet. And so we're all a part of this larger whole. And we have to be stewards of that. Now, what's remarkable is that there's so many things going on now that are leading us to not use the self-awareness that we're fully capable of. So, you know, having uh, the notification signals on your iPhone that constantly grabbing your attention uh, actually keeps you responding by habit. It's an addiction. And when you get controlled by that, then you can't enjoy silence. You can't be aware effectively of being a participant in a larger whole. So we need to spend more time with our iPhones off, you know, in nature walks or gardening or in true dialogue with someone where you're looking into each other's eyes and you're, you're thinking about well, what's he feeling? Why is he thinking that? Why does he think differently than me? I mean, because we are each born with different talents, strengths, and weaknesses. Nobody's perfect. But together, if we work cooperatively, we create a very resilient community and planet. And so it's getting to let ourselves have the experience so we can judge for ourselves what's healthy and satisfying for me. Not someone telling me how I ought to live my life. We need freedom. We need flexibility. We don't need to be controlled, but we're actually letting ourselves being controlled by powerful and clever forces to get us to consume, to be distracted, to be in a state of fear, and to measure status in terms of things that are not actually very satisfying. And so just to be aware of that gives you, inoculates you against a lot of the things that keep us, you know, in a, in a rat race or slaves to money. And, and I think that's the important thing. Now, there's really good news, though, because remember, our basic nature, what does make us satisfied is to, to be self-transcendent. And even if most people haven't cultivated it, they have that within them, and it is possible. And the, it's, it's very important to realize then that ultimately, step by step, the generations are making changes. All parents realize that teenagers are very difficult often. 
because they have their own mind about what to value and their types of music and so on. But adolescence has a very interesting utility for uh, the, the whole population of humanity because it, the, the teenagers stop and reflect on what are the parents doing wrong? And they change a little, hopefully in the right direction. Now all the parents' generation isn't necessarily gonna agree with them, but what's happening is that we have, in rough, roughly speaking, there are three groups of personalities. The, the people who are dominated by their habit system and their desires. And we call those, in terms of values, traditionals because they, they tend to be easily manipulated by fear and by people who promise to give them what they want. But they give up a lot of their capacity for self-regulation and freedom to people who they'll just more or less blindly follow dogmatically. Um, there's another group of people that I think are, are dominant in terms of executive positions and, and business, but now the, those same business principles have permeated all of our social institutions. And things are generally driven by individual profit. And we've forgotten that when we gave corporations the rights of a person, initially they were also expected to have the duties of a person. But somehow somebody forgot about that and it's not being enforced. And so you get this notion that a corporation only has responsibility to its investors and not to the community that's allowed it to operate. And so we have a lot of antisocial personalities that are, that, that would be the diagnosis of most businesses these days. Now, you know, there are good ones too that are just concerned about people and, and, and community responsibilities. But unfortunately, the neoliberal values that don't respect the reality of social justice, that don't respect the need for sustainability and the way we care for our communities and our uh, planet uh, are, are not, um, um, we're not recognizing those responsibilities very effectively. Let me uh, just make sure I've got this clearly as I'm taking notes here. So you've identified there are three types of people. The first, you can call traditionalists. The second, that tends to be dominant uh, at the at the apex of various organizations right now. What what is the title? They're the, they're the individual materialists. Or sometimes they've been called in the world value studies the moderns or the materialists. And then the those people are the ones who are self directed and cooperative to the extent of working for mutual benefit, but are not self-transcendent. And they tend to be very hyper-individualistic and competitive and so on. And they're, fair, they're fairly healthy until they start accumulating multiple chronic diseases and social dissatisfaction and so on. The third group are post-materialists, are cultural creatives, the people who have well-developed self-directedness, cooperative and self-transcendence. If you're only self-transcendent, you tend to be, and you're not self-directed, you tend to be living in a fantasy world. Yeah. And you have to combine facing the reality of life. And you have to have realistic goal, goals and to be able to get along with people and analyze things factually, not just live in dreams and wishes. But, but you also have to have an imagination 
that allows you to realize that we are part of something that we subjectively feel, but may not be able to tangibly and objectively prove to a skeptic. We can only encourage people to have the experiences that let them realize what makes them healthy and happy for themselves. But now I've gone a step further because we actually know from large scale population studies, working you know, in multiple countries with um, different environments and different cultures, that all human beings, in order to be optimally healthy and happy, to, to be able to create a sustainable world, have to cultivate all three of these character traits. And so the, the good news is that the post-materialists are actually increasing in number. And the values of the younger generation are near a majority in, in many places where they're not oppressive regimes like China and so on. And, and so one of the things that's going on is a culture war now that on the surface is primarily between materialists and, and uh, uh, people who are more emotionally reactive than traditionalists. And yet the, the post-materialists had been fairly quiet for a long time. They just sort of went their own way quietly. But now we're seeing a lot more social activism. And, and, and that is uh, not fully appreciated, except in epidemiologic studies, because the, that's the younger group who are just getting, who had been disillusioned with politics and social activism, but now are starting to speak more. Um, and so I think the, I have hope for the future because the ma materialists, many of them are a bit scared. They want to limit voting and so on. Uh, and that's, the, that's, the, that's a, a big consideration um, that you, you try to control values by not letting the values be expressed. Yeah. But in fact, near a majority of people now have the kinds of values that uh, lead to more humanitarianism, more concern for ecological issues and sustainability. That's the, that's the direction of the future, yeah. if we're to survive. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's so beautiful and exciting. And uh, I'm, I'm going to take that opportunity uh, quickly, uh, Doctor, to uh, remind our audience, this is the Why on Earth Community Podcast. And I'm your host, Aaron William Perry. Today, we're visiting with Dr. Robert Cloninger, uh, who is a leading uh, global uh, uh, thinker and scientist and influencer on this important conversion of uh, genetics, uh, psychology, well-being, health, and uh, social evolution. And I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors uh, who make this podcast series possible, along with our uh, community mobilization work for climate action, neighborhood resilience, culture of kindness, and soil stewardship. And this includes Earth Coast Productions, the Lidge Family Foundation, Alpine Botanicals, Purium, Earth Hero, Liquid Trainer, Vera Herbals, Growing Spaces, Soil Works, Joyful Journey Hot Springs Spa, Earth Water Press, Dr. Bronner's, 1% for the Planet, and Patagonia. 
And of course, a very special thanks to individuals who have joined our stewardship circle and or our monthly giving circle. And if you haven't yet joined and you'd like to, you can go to whyonearth.org support and sign up at any level that works for you each month. If you would like to contribute at the $33 or greater amount per month, we'll send you uh, as a thank you gift, a monthly shipment of the Waylay Waters uh, hemp infused aromatherapy soaking salts to enhance your health and wellness practices at home. And uh, also, of course, want to mention that you can find more information about Dr. Cloninger's work at Anthropedia. That's anthropedia.org. We'll include that link as well as a link to palmhealth.com in our show notes, along with links to a few of his key articles. And um, that I'm going to take as, as a segue, Robert, into one of the things, you know, we're a part of it, the Why on Earth community that has me extraordinarily excited and, and full of gratitude, really, to be a part of this emerging movement, which is happening globally. And this is the movement around fair trade, around regenerative uh, economics and business practices, around sustainable and triple bottom line business practices. We've got emerging third-party certifications such as the Regenerative Organic Certification, the B Corp or Benefits Corporation uh, designation and many others. And folks like Dr. Bronner's Patagonia and, and others are really helping lead the way uh, in a global transformation of what we're doing in our, in our business lives and in our uh, work in economics, uh, which we're all participating in. And I'm, I'm really curious to hear from you with all the research and insight you've got at your fingertips. Are you being increasingly invited and called into corporate conversations as folks are responding to this emergent trend? And, and clearly there's very exciting things happening in uh, business at all scales as folks are, are seeing this uh, massive transformation getting underway. Is this uh, already something that you're able to help uh, accelerate and define? Is it something maybe that is, is still kind of gestating and getting underway for, for you and your colleagues? Well, first of all, it's wonderful to see these excellent examples of corporations and, and groups that really uh, recognize the need to use our basic human potential uh, and to operate in a way that actually is consistent with our human nature rather than just being profit driven. And, and I think that is a great example. And, and I've, I've tried, I've focused primarily in the healthcare field, which is extremely dysfunctional and uh, consulted with you know, insurance companies, with health insurance companies. And, uh, but also that brings me in contact with a number of executives. And so we've tried to interest those people in our um, well-being training programs at Anthropedia. And we have programs where people can take this online and go through systematically a lot of the principles so that they can communicate with one another and, and express that in their work. So yes, we're doing that, but the, the need is tremendous. And in, in, in health, for example, we have almost 60% of physicians describe themselves as burned out demoralized and feel that they're, um, they wouldn't want their children to follow in their footsteps in, as healthcare providers. And uh, this, this is because very often um, 
we had brought in business managers to try to reduce healthcare costs, but they only shifted the, those costs to their own salaries and to um, buildings and, and so on, but not to the patients or the providers themselves. And this uh, has had a very unfortunate effect that uh, the, there's very little attention to the communication between the doctors and their patients now, or the need for continuity of care. Everything's becoming very procedural and algorithmic without that human touch. And so I've, I've done a lot of work in person-centered medicine to try to um, do the things that we're doing at Palm Health in St. Louis and uh, to work with the World Medical Association to try to lead people to be aware of the need, not just to make doctors more resilient to the stressful conditions in which they're working, but to try to change the basic values of how we're, uh, what our priorities are in health. And, and that uh, there are a lot of forces against that because there's so much profit to be made in healthcare. And that's the problem that we have is that there is a lot of greed yeah. and, um, and yet the cost of that greed and self-interest is, is uh, something that we can't sustain. And so I think there are a lot of smart people who are waking up to realize that, you know, this is actually not even for my own individual benefit anymore. This is not working for me. And, and so we want to help them to cultivate their human potential and to realize what would work and to realize that that actually is more satisfying. And really, basically, I think people want to be healthy and happy and good, but they may not know how to do it or how to change the environment in which they're working. And it's, it's so great that at Anthropedia, you, you and your colleagues have developed a suite of resources for folks that can come in and engage as individuals. I, I see that you've got a lot of resources for nonprofit organizations doing a variety of work in the world. And I'm thinking of many of my own uh, cultural creative friends and folks engaged in this regenerative and healing work. And I'm so excited to share with them uh, what you're doing and, and what Anthropedia is offering. I was wondering if you could just kind of walk us through uh, just basically uh, what it would look like for us when and as we engage with Anthropedia and as we go through the uh, curriculum and, and resources that you guys have developed. Okay. Well, let me, let me explain it a little bit by giving you a sense of my own journey and the steps where we made mistakes and had to correct them in order to be able to do something effective. Initially, I developed videos with uh, Anthropedia in order to, uh, that I could give to my patients as an adjunct so that they got... Uh, essentially uh, more intense uh, access to resources to promote their health. Rather than just thinking about, I'm a psychiatrist, so rather than just treating illness, depression, anxiety, and so on, and other serious illnesses, um, I wanted to help them work on their health and their happiness. And health and well-being are not just the absence of disease. You can be physically well and not really be very healthy and happy socially, emotionally, and so on. So um, we, we added the DVDs that gave things that we've discovered that they loved it, but somehow they couldn't translate it into their daily life. 
And so we had to start training coaches to work with them one-on-one personally to help them understand what it meant to translate these ideas that sounded desirable, but no one seemed to be able to just implement it on a day-to-day basis in a sustainable way. Uh, and so we, we developed a training program for coaches. And that's a big part of what the Anthropedia Foundation does is it trains, change, trains coaches who can help other people. And we've trained a large number of, of well-being coaches and they're certified. We also began then to offer it to people who didn't necessarily want to be coaches themselves, but to learn enough so that they could implement it in their business or their personal life just for their own well-being. And um, so many people take these courses now. And so we've put everything into online modules in addition to the opportunity to get person-to-person coaching because we had to do that under the, during the pandemic. Um, we think it's better if you can be face-to-face with someone because you feel more of that human connection. But at the same time, we can scale up more and have broader, larger scale impact by doing it online too. Um, And we have centers in the US, St. Louis, New York, uh, Sweden, uh, France, um, Italy. And so we're we're spreading, but we can scale up a lot more quickly by doing things online. So we discovered that um, you can't just tell someone that this is what you should do and how you should live your life. People really have to discover for themselves in freedom what it is that works for me with the resources I have, with the constraints I have. And so this is very personalized and everybody's path's a little bit different and we respect that. And so we give people the opportunity to have experiences. They try out for themselves what works. We also realize that we have to help them with the kinds of stresses of modern life, with dealing with anxiety, with dealing with toxic work environments, with pollution in the the world around them, the community around them, with all the sort of people who are content for the moment with acting in ways that are unsustainable in the long term. And and so um, we, we provide spas, we call it spas for the 21st century, that uh, provide a lot of mind-body services that are just fun, but actually are health-promoting. You know, we have things where people are doing physical exercise that um, stimulate both their strong and their weak muscles and um, float tanks, but other things that help with detoxification, relaxation, meditation, uh, eye-hand coordination that stimulate neuroplasticity because to change your habits, you have to be willing not just to accept that some of your habits are bad, but to be able to change them. And so we put together things that address the body, the mind and the soul simultaneously. Because if you don't have a sense of what you value, what's good, what's virtuous, and you don't have the capacity for change, you'll never be able to change your habits. The only way you're gonna be healthy is if you can make your habits be in accord with your goals and your values. And it's got to be realistic. It's got to be able to add up at the end of the day and be feasible, but it's also got to fill your heart and soul. And that's the kind of environment. So we we also, people will come into our centers and they spend an afternoon or a day or a week. And 
learn to do this, and then they can bring that back and find ways in their own community to do similar things. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And I've had an opportunity to experience just a little bit of this visiting St. Louis. And, and full disclosure, it's actually a list. Uh, we finally met just a few weeks ago before recording this at my daughter Osha's uh, university graduation ceremony. And she's been on the podcast. And of course, she and my son Hunter have uh, worked at Palm Health, which you're, you're part of. And Laura uh, Health Create. I'm sorry? And the Agora, which is the spa. Yeah, and the, and, the, and the Agora, right? And of course, their mother, my ex, Amanda, uh, works at Palm and has been uh, engaged with Anthropedia's work for, for many years. So I've been hearing about this for quite some time. Now, funny enough, your son, Dr. Kevin Cloninger, and uh, Dr. Uh, Lauren Munch Del Faro and I were all in a couple of classes together in undergraduate school here at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Uh, a couple of few decades ago. And so it's, it's lovely to me just to think about the sort of evolving ecosystem here uh, among some of these very personal and family relationships and how it came to be that you were sitting next to me when we were eating lunch a few weeks ago. We got to talking and said, by golly, let's, let's have a podcast conversation on all of this. And it leads me to think about, you know, some of the serendipity that can occur in our lives and end up having, you know, really significant impact in our lives over time. And I'm just wondering a two-part question. When you're thinking about how do those who are already well on the road of a cultural creative development as an individual, um, how, do, how do they, how do we accelerate that work? And secondly, when we're looking at folks who, who have often resources and power and influence who maybe haven't yet uh, developed as much of the self-transcendence attribute. How, how do we help those folks as well, A, become aware, B, motivated, and C, uh, you know, on the road? And, and therefore, to sum the question, how do we scale and accelerate uh, th these trends that you're, you're already seeing, you're already identifying uh, in, our, in our world generally? Uh, knowing that, given many of these very uh, near-term uh, ch systemic complex challenges that we're facing, we, we need to, uh, you know, mobilize as many of us as we possibly can uh, with that heart-centric, love-centric, compassion-centric, values and ethics-centric way of being and working. How, doctor, how do we do that? Well, I think, first of all, uh, for your own health, you do have to be able to identify friends and like-minded people in order to be able to um, help them. So we have to first help those who are like-minded to uh, work together as we're doing here. But in addition, we have to not make the, the mistake of lacking compassion and respect for people who have different values. And don't demonize people who are currently maybe living in a way that we might think is unhealthy because eventually smart people realize that that's not working. And if, if we maintain respectful dialogue with them and try to practice um, being tolerant and 
and being ready to help them when they have trouble, they'll often see that, you know, there's something special there that they would like to share in. So keeping communication and bridges open to be really there to help everyone and not just, you know, your friends and people who are like-minded. Because we really all do have talents and abilities that would work much better if we helped one another. And some people just haven't seen that yet. But if, if we stay around and respectful and they see that we're ready to be helpful without demonizing them and vilifying them, then I think that this can speed up because the, the natural evolution is that, you know, a paradigm doesn't just shift overnight because you've got the evidence for it. It tends that, that generations change slowly. And so we have to really look out in particular for our younger generations because it's easier for them to change. And we can help them to have hope, to be active and to be ready to be the change that needs to take place. And I am concerned that there's enormous stress on the millennial generation and Generation Z right now, and they need a lot of help and support. And so people who recognize this need for social justice, for sustainability, for love, hope, and faith in, in all of our actions will um, have a sense of unity but that unity, while it should look out certainly for those people who are culturally creative, but also for all the younger generation and to remain available and accessible and as respectful as possible of everyone, even if you think that they're wrong. You know, and I mean, a little bit like the question that was asked of, of Gandhi that, uh, you know, he said he would always do what's right in his, in his opinion, but he knew sometimes he was wrong. And so that made him very tolerant of the people that he opposed. And so what happened in uh, South Africa and in India is that many people who found him initially as their, his, his opponent came to respect him because he was so fair and so tolerant, always driven to be non-cooperative with what he didn't agree with, but still loving all humanity and wanting to help all of humanity. I think he's a wonderful example. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Dr. Cloninger, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today. And before we sign off, I just, I just want to uh, give you the open-ended floor if there's anything else you'd like to say or mention before we conclude this discussion, uh, please, uh, by all means. Well, I think, thank you for that. Um, I think what's most important for us is to not be discouraged when we so, see so many people doing things that are not good for themselves or others. But remember, you have to uh, have respect because we all do make mistakes. And if we can maintain friendly, respectful dialogue and we remember our basic nature is good and we don't let ourselves give in to fear and violence and we maintain a sense of unity and community, 
then I think that things are will work out well. Thank you. Thank you. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WHYONEARTH, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.